When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. Nick Durst, Michael Rockman, back as usual, but we are also joined by Joe Volpe, the fantasy football expert across all of the land. Joe, how are you doing today? Good, how are you doing? Doing perfectly fine. We are going to be talking about all things fantasy football, but mostly with a little bit of rookie focus, talking about some of the guys in the 2021 NFL draft class that are now going to be having impacts. You know, guys like Justin Jefferson, James Robinson could have easily won you a league last year. And now we're trying to find those guys that are going to be doing similar things. But first and foremost, we got to get down to what's really important. And that is the Jacksonville Jaguars have signed Tim Tebow, the tight end convert now going to be coming in playing with his former college coach, Urban Meyer. Nick, I'd love to get your thoughts on this move and really what you think about Tim Tebow's potential in the NFL. Tebow time. I think uh, he's a must, he's a must grab for the fantasy leagues because (laughs) how many rushing touchdowns is is Tim Tebow going to have it out of the tight end position? I think I'll I'll think a lot. Uh, Good guy, better leadership. But I guess we got to ask the question: Does he actually make the team? Uh, <laughs> we got to see. I, I think he would. Um, he's not going to start. We know he's not going to really. He's not going to be, uh, you know, returning kicks or anything on the kick return team. Maybe I'll be in there like he was with the Jets when they ruined him on the punts. Uh, I'm excited though. Uh, I tell you this: you know, number 15 is allowed to be worn by tight ends this year. I think right. So those 15 Tebow jerseys will be flying off the shelves. The Jaguars can't print them quick enough, and I think Tim Tebow will outsell Trevor Lawrence in jerseys this season. It's a bold prediction. Uh, Joe, obviously, from a fantasy perspective, any any deep leagues where, you know, maybe like 50 players deep or something that you're looking into Tim Tebow as a potential late-round grab? Uh, you know, he's 33 years old right now. So, and like Nick said, if he even makes the team, then at that point, what kind of role is he going to have? I think it's going to be a nice story. And I'm sure throughout the year, maybe he'll catch a touchdown or something like that. Or like Nick said, maybe even run it in. But um, unless yeah, he'll, be, like he'll a, be lining up a fullback a lot, I would think. He could. Yeah, I, I would imagine so, because they don't really have a fullback right now. Um, you know, not a lot of teams even use that position anymore. But yeah, I mean, Tebow's a do-it-all type tight end slash quarterback slash fullback slash running back. So right. I mean, uh, they're going to they're gonna use the Taysom Hill model. I mean, he, he will throw the ball. It's possible. Right? So... Hill's like if Hill's starts a tight end, right? He has tight end eligibility in, in fantasy football. He so did. I, I think it's going to work out uh, in the sense, but you know, Urban Meyer owes a lot of his career to Tim Tebow and his success. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Urban Meyer is not the head coach of the Jaguars. If, if Tim Tebow wasn't, you know, the, this amazing college football player and, 
Now, Michael, you know, you and Joe, I guess you, know, you guys are young. Tim Tebow maybe sparked your love for college football because he was just that, you know, not newsworthy and buzzworthy. Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to add, uh, Taysom Hill did have tight end eligibility last year until he was, and he, until he ended up being the starting quarterback. Then the week after that, they kind of took that away. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how they label Tebow. Because a lot of times these guys are wide receivers slash tight ends slash running backs slash whatever. Um, but yeah, unless you're in a dynasty league and you got a couple extra spots that you know you don't mind burning, I wouldn't really be looking at them. Yeah, we got Tebow number 15 and Trevor Lawrence number 16. So there you you go. know there's going to be a photo shoot there, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that raises an interesting question because 15 is currently occupied by quarterback Gardner Minshew. And I wanted to ask, do you think that, you know, even though Tebow isn't listed as a QB, could this potentially increase the odds that they're looking to move Minshew and get some capital mm. out of him? You know, they have Jake Luton who decided to was good. show some impressive stuff during his rookie year. Maybe they don't want to depend entirely on him as their backup QB, but there are some veterans on the market. Could we see a, you know, gadget QB type almost push the needle to where they're willing to deal Gardner Minshew? Or do you think they're going to love his backup availability uh, for me like I, I don't think Tebow really moves the needle that much I, I don't think Tebow is like okay now that we have Tebow we can finally trade Gardner Minshew I feel like a Gardner Minshew trade has been in the talks for some time now and um, another team's probably willing to take on Minshew as a potential uh, backup quarterback with some upside in that first year of all the rookies he had the highest quarterback rating of any of the rookies in 2000. Uh, 20 uh, 2019 rather so yeah i mean there's definitely upside with a guy like Minshew, and if they can get some compensation for him i'm sure they'll do it but i don't think tipo was like the selling point of like oh okay now we have to trade Minshew. like i, I don't think he moves the needle that much i, I don't think it's a good move to, to trade Minshew. uh but if i was a team who is not sure about the health of my quarterback someone who particularly would get injured each season then I'd love to have Minshew as my backup. For sure. And, you know, as much as we'd love to sit here and talk about Tebow, we do got to get the show rolling. So we're going to first talk about the quarterback position. Joe, I'd love to get your thoughts. Obviously, you got the guys that are most likely going to be the immediate starters, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. But then there's those other options. You know, Justin Fields seems like he could potentially work his way into the rotation early. Trey Lance, Mac Jones maybe have a little bit more of a backseat and hell to overcome, but still plenty of upside there. If you're looking at it from a standard perspective, uh, you know, whether it's PPR or whatever, just what type of value would you put on these rookie QBs in their first year? And then from a dynasty perspective, long-term look at these guys, what do you think of, you know, maybe someone like a Trey Lance who gets to work with a Kyle Shanahan and what kind of value do you put on these players? Yeah. So I'm a huge advocate for Trey Lance. He was one of my favorite quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, the landing spot in San Francisco is great for him. It's just about when, like you said, when he takes over that starting role. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times, most of the rookie quarterbacks that are in the first round typically see five or six games at least throughout their first year. I don't think that's going to be the case with Mac Jones because I think that situation is a little different. I don't think it was Belichick trading up for a guy they really wanted. Apparently, they were also targeting Elijah Vera Tucker before the Jets traded up and, you know, sniped that away from them. But um, overall, I think Trey Lance, first of all, w w when you're drafting, 
at the end of like the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th round. And uh, let's say you're going for a backup quarterback or it's a two QB league. If you're looking for guys like us with upside, Derek Carr is there, like Daniel Jones, like not a lot of guys who I would really be excited about drafting. But Trey Lance, when he does become the starter, he's a guy who has top 10 quarterback potential. So um, if you want to rely on him from the get-go, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are probably not guys you want to target as your first quarterback taken. But at the same time, if you're drafting a backup, might as well get someone with upside because bye weeks usually don't happen until – I mean, last year was a little earlier, but probably won't see – Well, this year one. we get two bye weeks per team. Two, so. Is it two bye weeks? I know there's 17 games, but I saw there was only one bye week. I think it's an 18-week season um, and two bye weeks, I thought, but the schedule's not out yet. So I, The schedule's you know. not out, but they're doing, they're doing 17 regular season games and then the one bye week for 18 weeks. So they're just adding another – game of a strain on all these players but um yeah i mean if you're gonna draft a quarterback late especially a backup you want a guy with upside you want a guy for if your quarterback has a bye week seven trey lance is probably going to be starting at that point so he's the ideal pick in that area how about and this isn't a rookie joe but we get to august you know you gotta do your draft aaron Rodgers says he's gonna hold out do you draft jordan love and do you pass on Aaron Rodgers if he's sitting there for you? That'd well, I mean, if, if he is holding out, then uh, ideally you got to avoid Rodgers. But I think it also kind of goes to the point where if we don't know Rodgers' situation in late August and his ADP has fallen into like the 13th, 12th, 11th, you know, like those later rounds, it goes to what I was saying about Trey Lance of like, okay, if you're going to take a second quarterback late, you want a guy with upside. If you can get Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers in the 13th round as your backup quarterback, I'd take that. You know, it, worst case, it doesn't work out. There's always a ton of quarterbacks on waivers that are available. So uh, I have no problem taking one of those guys wait late and uh, hoping that they're at least on the field by the time the primary quarterback is by. And if not, you just pick up one off waivers. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about the 2021 rookies, but also a lot of eyes are going to be on the 2020 class, looking at guys like Joe Burrow, who now have added weapons, added some offensive line protection, and looking at guys like Justin Herbert, who really just set the league on fire with an incredible rookie year. Do you expect similar production from Herbert, or do you think that there's going to be a bit of a drop-off and you'd kind of avoid the hype that's surrounding him right now? Um... There's no evidence to me that points to a drop-off other than, you know, nerves or just something that you can't really calculate. You know, sometimes guys just have down years. It happens. But the offensive line um, has improved for Herbert. They got Rashawn Slater in the first round. Uh, As far as weapons, he lost Hunter Henry. They did gain some later-round guys in the draft, Trey McKitty and Josh Palmer. Um, they added Jared Cook as a potential weapon. Keenan Allen's still there. He's still got Austin Eckler in that backfield. So I, I have no issue drafting Justin Herbert early with the notion that he can be that top five potential quarterback, especially if he does take a leap forward. Because uh, last year in his first game, he was just kind of thrown into the mix when Tyrod Taylor had that punctured lung by the doctor. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all over Justin Herbert. I, I think he's going to be great. And in terms of Joe Burrow, you're right. I mean, he's got a primary wide receiver one, Jamar Chase. He's got T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, uh, Joe Mixon, one of my favorites in that backfield. They upgraded the offensive line. So it's looking good for Burrow, too. It's just about if he's going to be able to stay on the field with that torn ACL from last year. So just a hypothetical, like, 
draft situation, if you were looking in the, let's say, later rounds and you have Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, which one do you think – how would you rank those three in terms of which you'd prefer to bring in onto your fantasy lineup for immediate impact? I would have – it's tough. I'd rather have Joe Burrow first because I like what we saw in his rookie year at times. And now he's got upgraded weapons, upgraded offensive line. I'll put Trevor Lawrence second on that list. And I'm going to put Zach Wilson third only because as a prospect, I feel like the comp- the comparisons for Zach Wilson were Patrick Mahomes or Mitchell Trubisky. Like a lot of people felt like he was a mix between those two guys. And at times he showed flashes of both of those guys. So, uh, you know, being a jet system, I want to see how he acclimates the NFL. Um, they got the West Coast offense with uh, Mike LaFleur in New York. So it's very similar to what he ran at BYU. So I'm not too concerned about the transition. But at the same time, it's just going to be about getting his footing. You know, going from college speed to NFL speed is a big step for a lot of guys. So um, Trevor Lawrence is not a guy who I'm worried about, stuff like that. He's been a winner his whole life. He hasn't lost a single regular season game his entire career. So uh, Trevor Lawrence is not someone I'm worried about in that aspect, but Zach Wilson is. And, you know, one interesting thing that we've kind of seen consistently in terms of fantasy rankings is a rookie Q- QB comes in and the hype really gets building for maybe their best wide receiver on the team. And they say, oh, you know, this is absolutely going to happen. Would you say that that's a better approach or would you say that it's better to sort of avoid the wide receivers for young QBs that maybe are going to be handing off a lot or trying to get just simple game plans. Cause we've seen it with guys like Tua where maybe there's plenty of potential for Tua in year two, but at the same time, you know, the game plan was severely limited. A lot of short passes, a lot of just trying to keep things simple for them. Do you think it's better to, you know, embrace the new QB is going to be better? Or do you think it's better to kind of wait on the QB to grow and, and avoid overdrafting the position? For me, that's like a situational type deal. Because if you have um, like Devontae Adams and you're a rookie quarterback, you're like, okay, my priority is I'm going to get the ball to the best guy in the field, and that's going to be Adams. Uh, last year, just for example, for Tua, he had Devontae Parker, which, you know, still kind of up in the air about if he's good or if he's bad. He's had some good years, had some bad years. Um, Mike Gazeki, who was banged up at times, he lost two of his wide receivers to opting out for the season. He didn't have a great offensive line, so he didn't really have that go-to guy. Um, that's why Miles Gaskin was also used in a bigger role as well. So I, I think it's very situational. I wouldn't just um, blanket all rookie quarterbacks, like, you know, avoid all rookie quarterbacks, uh, wide receivers or something like that. It, for me, it's, it, it's too situational. I got you. And, you know, talking about those wide receivers, there were some excellent wide receivers that have been added in this class. Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Jamar Chase immediately as those top three, but also guys like Rashad Bateman later on, Terrace Marshall in Carolina. There's plenty of options around the league that are going to be intriguing when it comes to guys to add. In terms of that top three, how would you rank them in terms of fantasy football? Just what do you think they'll produce in year one? And then maybe some potential sleepers that you think could be late round guys that actually are quite good contributors for the uh, fantasy leagues around there. Yeah. So if we're talking wide receivers, um, I'll say top three, Jamar Chase has got to be that one reunited with Joe Burrow. I think they're going to hit it off immediately. I'm not going to say like a Justin Jefferson type rookie season. Um, I don't think it's going to be in, you know, close to that, but um, there's definitely potential. There's, Jamar Chase's upside does reach that type of level. Um, 
Number two, it's going to be tough. I don't really know if I trust Waddle. He's going to be playing mainly in the slot. I know you can use him elsewhere, but that's kind of where Mike Kaziki sat a lot uh, in his career, and he seemed to be to his guy. Then you have Will Fuller, Devontae Parker on the outside. So I'm just worried about consistent targets, especially with Miles Gaskin catching a ton out of the backfield too. Uh, Rashad Bateman, one of my favorite wide receivers in the class. Falling to Baltimore, not ideal for fantasy when you have Lamar Jackson as a passer, who is a little underrated as a passer as a whole. But when it comes to how they run their offense, it's just – you know, he's not going to be in a spot to get a ton of targets. So first I would say Chase, um, I, I guess you got to follow it up with, you know, another guy, Devonte Smith, who I love. Um, I love Devonte Smith, the slim reaper. I'm not too scared of his weight being 166 pounds is really scary from the outside. But if you see the way this guy moves, it's not a typical fast, like Henry Ruggs, can't you know not a polished receiver or like Brashad Perryman or any of these guys John Ross he's not that type of player he's an alpha he is a beast and he won that Heisman for a reason so Devontae Smith is going to be second and Jalen Waddle is probably going to be my third just because utility wise uh some sleepers Terrace Marshall you mentioned him I love that fit back with Joe Brady in Carolina I think they're going to end up playing DJ Moore in the slot and I think Terrace Marshall is going to have some good opportunity in the outside on top of that, Amari Rodgers in uh, Green Bay, potentially being that slot receiver there for Aaron Rodgers. He hasn't had a good slot receiver since yeah. Randall Cobb. And if he does end up playing, he might end up utilizing him a good amount. How about, you know, you mentioned John Ross. How about his teammate, Kadarius Tony? I know Michael kind of talked me into to liking the pick, even though I don't <laughs> think they need the receiver. But there could, be, there could be some targets there, despite the fact that it's a really crowded uh, – you know, wide receiver, tight end, running back room there for the Giants offense. You know, there's a couple guys in this rookie class I do not like, and Kadarius Tony is one of them. I am not a huge fan. Uh, I do another show with a buddy of mine for us called the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast, and uh, we had Matt Harmon on. If you're familiar with him, he works for uh, Yahoo Sports. He does this reception perception where he watches every single route, every single wide receiver runs, and marks their success against man coverage and uh, zone and stuff like that. So um, he, he marked Kadarius Tony as being one of the worst route runners in this upcoming class. And that's not something that you want to be a part of. That's not something you want to buy into. Uh, you got Kenny Galladay in New York. You got Saquon Barkley out of that backfield, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. There's a lot of guys who can take targets away from Tony. It's well, You know, with every guy, every guy has a value, right? If well, Kadarius Tony is going to be there in that 10th, 11th, 12th round then i think it's worth taking a shot but if he's going to be going in that fifth sixth seventh round i'm going to be staying far away well the thing with tony is i mean he's getting a target shepherd you can mark him down right now for five games on the injured list you could mark down galladay for five games you don't know what's going to happen with shepherd anger was going to get targets but if you can't catch the ball it doesn't really mean anything there that's why anger's one of the worst tight ends of fantasy football but uh michael you know how do you think Kadarius Tony is going to fit in here with, with the Giants attack here? And, you know, is he going to have trouble like even getting targeted? I think that he is definitely a work in progress. So in year one, if you're just doing a standard redraft league, I'd probably try to avoid for the most part, unless like Joe said, that it's late round value that you're just kind of swinging for the fences on. 
But ultimately, I do think that there's plenty of potential. I mean, he has great contact balance. He has the separation ability. It's just big on can you capitalize on the route running itself. He's going to get a lot of manufactured touches, which I think with his playmaking ability, he'll be able to contribute with. But, you know, at the same time, it's still something that he is working on as becoming a really just a polished wide receiver. And we saw a huge jump from his third to fourth year at Florida, but there's still a lot of work to do. And jumping from the SEC to the NFL is still quite the jump. So Tony will have his issues. He'll have his games where really you're kind of just wondering where he was at the entire time. But I think there could be some pop-off performances where if you can play it right, you know, he's a great depth guy to have. But playing it right in fantasy is is one of the riskiest things that you can try to do because a lot of times it does not work out. Yeah, I think he's going to be a good waiver pickup. I'll say that. I think at times, like Nick says, if there's a couple guys injured and he's sitting on waivers, he might be the priority pick that week and he might have some value there. Um, but he's not a guy I'm going to be targeting necessarily in redraft. Now, his teammate was the consensus number one pick last year in fantasy, Saquon Barkley, coming off a pretty gruesome injury. Don't know how he's going to rebound. Out. Is he going to come back like Adrian Peterson with MVP? You know, we could hope. Uh, and again, Jones really hasn't played much with him. They've played maybe like six, seven games together. So you don't know what Jones's thoughts are going to be there. Where are you looking here with Saquon Barkley as far as if you were going to draft him? And, and you know, wh- where is it worth taking the risk? So obviously with any, especially running backs coming off a torn ACL, they are prone to more soft tissue injuries that following year. Um, you know, like hamstring strains, stuff like that. So there is built-in caution with Barkley. Um, because of that, I wouldn't put him in that top three to four range. But if we're talking mid to late first round, I think Barkley is still a guy I'm heavily buying into. Uh, he, he's going to be the clear workhorse in that backfield. He's going to see a ton of targets. In the one game he played last year, he had nine targets. Um, second game, he got knocked out a little early, obviously, but... Yeah, I mean, as a whole, Saquon Barkley's still a fantastic running back. And even if, if there's a guy who can come back from an injury, it's going to be Barkley. And that two years ago when he had that high ankle sprain, I think he only missed like two weeks. Right. And then he played the rest of the year. Uh, how well he performed or not, you know, like he, he's going to be on the field if he can. And he's a baller. And he's an athletic monster. So if I had to put money on anybody coming off a tear, torn ACL and having a good year, it's going to be Barkley. But um, the fact that you don't have to take him in that top three range, I think, is what works best for him. So Michael over here absolutely nailed the Steelers draft pick. He was on it for weeks. He knew they were taking Najee Harris. Uh, ETN going to the Jaguars. Good for Trevor Lawrence uh, because he's good as buddy, but kind of questionable because Jaguars are pretty good at running back. Rookie running backs here, Joe. What, where do you, what are you thinking here? I – I don't think Najee Harris is going to be a huge fantasy running back in his rookie season. I I think that's just not the the Steelers game plan towards the red zone. So I don't really know how many touchdowns he's going to get for you. Uh, where and he's not really like I mean Michael he he does catch some passes, but wasn't asked to do that much because I was still at the receivers he's with at Alabama. So to me, I wouldn't target him as my top rookie quarter running back, but. Uh, what do you what do you like uh, out of this draft class from the running backs? Uh, I, I love Najee. I love Najee Harris, and I think when it comes to running backs in fantasy, you just sometimes you just gotta follow the volume. I mean, the Steelers' offensive line isn't great right now, 
But one thing Michael Tom, Michael Tom, Mike Tomlin has always wanted to do is run with a bell cow running back. Last year, he touted J, uh, James Conner as being their bell cow guy. Um, but you know what? When you don't have a great offensive system and you don't have great personnel in that backfield, you you kind of have to switch some guys around, and that's what happened. That's why with Steelers, with all the needs they have, offensive line especially, I really thought they were going to address the offensive line. Right. But they chose to go running back, and Mike Tomlin is just tired of not having his guy back there. So I think Harris, um, he, he may not be this prolific pass catcher, especially when you do have Juju back. You have Deontay Johnson. You have Chase Claypool. Um, but I, I think Harris is going to get his workload, and I think – that alone is going to be enough for him to be a low end um, type running back one. And on top of that, um, they brought in Matt Canada. So a new offensive coordinator, new scheme. One of the things the Steelers did not do well over the last couple of years was play action. And a large part of that was because they had no running game. You know, you can't sell the run if you don't have a running game. So uh, Najee Harris, I think he's definitely going to help them out in that aspect, which is also going to help out Chase Claypool and, you know, we could save that for another time, but uh, yeah, Harris is someone I'm, I'm I love, and tra- uh, Travis Etienne. I know a lot of people are not a fan of this pick, and when I first looked at it from the outside, I really wasn't either. But one crucial thing that Urban Meyer said, and this was in a video interview, is that he was devastated to miss out on Kadarius Tony. Devastated, and if you think about Kadarius Tony, you think of that gadget guy, you think of that Percy Harvin role that Urban Meyer love to utilize in Ohio state, whether it was Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel, whoever it was. Now that historically has been a wide receiver, but Travis Etienne is more than just a running back. Travis Etienne is the best pass catching running back in this class. I truly think Travis Etienne is going to be that Percy Harvin type guy for urban Meyer. And not only that, but the continuity with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he's your golden boy. If the golden Mm -hmm. boy says he wants his running back, you know, you give the golden boy what he wants. So, um, you know, he's the reason Urban Meyer decided to go into the NFL. Trevor Lawrence is the reason that Urban Meyer decided to be an NFL coach. So, yeah, I I think Travis Etienne is going to be fine. I think he's going to be heavily utilized both as a rusher and a receiver, especially because there's not like an established wide receiver one in Jacksonville. We thought DJ Jark was kind of going to be that guy. Marvin Jones is in his 30s at this point. LaVisco Chenault, who a lot of people thought was going to be that Percy Harvin type guy. Um, you know, he's part of that old regime. They don't have any ties to him. And that's the same story with James Robinson. They just don't have any ties to an undrafted free agent who filled in and did his job last year. So, uh, yeah, I'm a fan of uh, Travis Etienne. I'm a fan of Najee Harris. Javante Williams, uh, Melvin Gordon after this year is going to be free agent. Williams was one of my favorite running backs in this class. So if you're in Dynasty, Williams is someone I'm heavily targeting. After this year, he's got water, uh, running back one potential. So all over those guys. Michael, uh, you know, obviously you had Michael Carter as your, your sixth rank running back uh, coming into the draft. This guy is in a tremendous spot. He's, he went to the Jets. They're not going to, you know, turn the ball over to Wilson. He'll let him throw like crazy. And I think he's going to be a starter week one. Uh, what, what do you expect, Michael, from, from Carter this season with the Jets? Yeah, with Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman in that backfield, the Jets seem to have a pretty good running back room, really. And I know that a lot of questions fall on this offensive line, but with Elijah Vera Tucker now there, Makai Becton in year two, George Fant actually looked pretty solid at the right tackle spot. There's some consistency on this line that I think is going to play in pretty well for this offensive line as a whole. 
we saw what the San Francisco running back room looks like. So I'm kind of worried about Michael Carter from week to week. But I think in terms of his overall availability, his overall dependability as a runner, I think he's going to be able to produce. And if you're looking for a rookie running back to really step up and make some great games happen, Carter is definitely one of the better options. I think the frame is definitely a question mark, but in terms of receiving ability and just overall patience as a runner, he offers plenty of it. Um, Another guy that was just above him in my rankings, Dokes out of Cincinnati heads to Miami in the seventh round. And if you're looking for that guy that kind of pops off out of nowhere, I think it's absolutely Dokes. I I think Miles Gaskin did a fine job as a running back. I don't think that this is necessarily a shot at Gaskin, but I do think that if you're looking for a guy that kind of pops off out of nowhere, Miami is a great setup because of how much they're going to try to depend on the run to kind of take that pressure off to a, how much that running back room is still unsettled in terms of just who's going to be this main workhorse back. And really Dokes kind of fits that aggressive run style that Flores and many of this coaching staff got to see with guys like LeGarrette Blount and many other running backs in the new England system. Look for Dokes to potentially surprise and be a great pick. If you're looking for a guy in that 15th round, and I'm telling you, last round, easy value because no one's really looking for this guy. Look for Dokes to be that great steal that could potentially be a huge value pick later on whenever you're looking at it in hindsight. Michael, what about Kenneth Gainwell? I know you had him as your fourth running back. Yeah, Gainwell is an interesting situation because I love the receiving upside. You know, Joe said that ETN is probably the best receiving back in this class. I think Gainwell is probably the only guy that really could make that case to go against him. Personally, for me, I'm Gainwell over ETN as a receiver, ETN over Gainwell as a runner, but it's really neck and neck. It's such a great class for receiving ability from those two. But I don't love the situation in terms of what he's going to be going into. I think we could see some two running back looks where Hertz has both guys in the backfield because it's great to have two guys that are excellent weapons in the backfield in the receiving room in Philadelphia isn't necessarily something that's going to be knocking everyone around in terms of air yards so maybe Gainwell gets a lot of touches or moves out to the slot on plenty of snaps but I don't love his overall rushing upside at least in year one Miles Sanders a very talented back as long as he stays healthy he should mostly control that backfield so it's just one of those things I liked his talent I liked his skill set but overall the biggest thing for fantasy production is just volume and I don't know how much volume Gainwell is going to get right I, I will add on Gainwell though um, Nick Sirianni had a press conference talking about, you know, just the draft in general. And one of the things he mentioned about Gainwell is he compared, well, uh, one of the reporters compared him to Naheem Hines. And, um, one of the things Sirianni said was, yeah, you know, I could see that. And that's pretty similar to how we want to use him in this backfield. When you look at what Miles Sanders did last year as a rusher, he was fantastic. 5.3 yards per carry. Um, very effective as, you know, on the ground, even with the depleted offensive line. As a pass catcher, Miles Sanders had eight drops on the 52 targets. So he wasn't exactly this, you know, beaming receiver for them last year. Hence why they pick off a guy like on Johnson off waivers, why they draft like one of the better, one of the best, you know, in your opinion, uh, best pass catching running backs in this draft. So, I think Miles Sanders is going to keep his ground role, but there might be room for a second guy to uh, have some value in this backfield, especially receiving. I mean, there's a calculation done that a receiving tar- a target is worth one 1.3 times as much as any kind of type of rush. So, Joe, uh, who is this year's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the sense that he's very overhyped. Everyone's like, oh, great spot. 
Got to pick this guy right away. Ooh. Ends up getting replaced by Le'Veon Bell and really doesn't Trey Sermon. what expected. Trey, Easily. Trey Sermon. Sermon. Trey Sermon. I'm oh. not a fan of Trey Sermon. Neither is Michael. He has the 10th the tenth best rookie running back. Michael, I think we had the same rankings. I think we had the same rankings. I had Kenneth Gainwell fourth. I had Michael Carter sixth. Like, I think we might have had the same exact rankings here. He is so overrated as a rusher. I mean, if you watch his film. Yeah, this guy could not hit an open hole. There are so many times when I'm looking at him, like, it's right there. Like, if I was Trey Sermon in that scenario, I could have just moved a little to the right and taken it to the house. Uh, He does not have that top-end speed. He's pass catch capable, but he's more of a short yardage type guy. And we're talking about, talking about this third round draft capital. Like if the Jets had a third round pick, they would have picked Carter in the third round. I don't, I don't think this is a huge plus for Trey Sermon in a backfield with him, Raheem Mostert, Wayne Gallman, uh, Jeff Wilson. You have Jermichael Hasty from last year. What happened? Wayne Gallman should get a lot of touches. He was very good with the Giants last year. I don't know why the Giants didn't bring him back. There's so many guys in the San Francisco offense that have potential, and you can't even discount Kyle Juszczyk, who over the last couple years has had the most targets out of any of these 49ers backs. Um, And you can't discount Trey Lance either, who had 1,000 rushing yards in his one big year. So he's going to be taken away in that aspect, take away some potential rushing touchdowns. Um, I know there's the argument that after this year, Trey Sermon might just be like the only guy left in that running back depth chart. A lot of these guys are free agents, but that doesn't mean they're not going to have three undrafted free agents that are in the rotation or that they're not going to draft another guy or whatever. So I'm not banking anything on Trey Sermon. I'm not a fan of him. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, and we already said it a little bit, but the volume is the biggest thing that's going to play into a lot of the production, especially early on for these guys. You're trying to find guys that are going to steal touches. I don't see Sermon really establishing himself as this dominant back. I'm not going to be the guy that says it's not going to work out because I don't trust Shanahan. You know, if Shanahan likes a running back, I'm going to assume he's going to have a couple games where he goes off. But yeah. that doesn't mean that he's going to be a full-time consistent player. And really inconsistency in fantasy is one of the hardest things to overcome. I advise everyone, you know, if you're looking for a running back, yeah, Sermon may have some games where he pops off and everyone can say, oh, it's a great pick. But I don't think he's going to be a season-long dependable player, and that's someone that you try to steer clear of when it comes to fantasy football. And I, I like what you said, too, that Trey Sermon is not this overwhelmingly, you know, great running back. Like, if he was some all-star running back, then I'd say, all right, maybe I'll buy into this 49ers backfield. Maybe I'll put some investment into, you know, insert – whoever that could have been. Um, but Trey Sermon is just not that guy for me. He's not this overwhelming talent that's just going to demand volume. So, absolutely. Um, now, moving on to tight ends here, Joe, is there any rookie tight end worth drafting other than Kyle Pitts this season? Um, Next season, Eric Ebron is going to be a free agent, so there is potential for Pat Freemuth to have future value. In terms of this season, Tommy Trumbull out of Carolina – just because, you know, that tight end room is kind of wide open. Um, they do have Dan Arnold, who they picked up, but I'm not a huge fan of him. Uh, he had some drop issues. And then you look at Houston. You got Brevin Jordan, who was one of my favorite tight ends in this class. They ended up getting him late. As of right now, there's a ton of open targets in Houston. They let go of a couple of their tight ends, including Darren Fells. So there might be opportunity for a guy like Brevin Jordan to come in. In terms of drafting these guys... You know, there's no one other than Kyle Pitts I'm really looking to draft in terms of this rookie tight end class, but um, I'm sure they'll have some waiver wire pickups throughout the year. 
Yeah, and I just want to touch on that real quick. Tyrod Taylor, during his time in Buffalo, made Charles Clay a relevant fantasy tight end. And while I'm not dissing Charles Clay, I was a fan of him at the time, I think it's important to realize, you know, if he's a starter full-time for Houston or if they're going with guys like Ryan Finley and Davis Mills who aren't really the most strong-armed QB, they're going to be throwing a lot down, checkdowns, tight ends, passes, stuff like that. Look for that tight end room in Houston to be a big part of contribution and whether that's you know jordan Aiken or uh yeah jordan akins jordan akins or um i think they have kahali wearing wearing and they also have brevin jordan there's options but if brevin is able to step up and make an opportunity for himself then i absolutely think that we could see some surprising potential out of him because really i had him as my tight end too and i still like the talent that's there I do think there's question marks in terms of, you know, he was an athletic tight end and didn't test as well as he probably should have, but still plenty of potential, plenty of receiving ability. If the Texans let him have an opportunity, you know, they run either two tight end sets or he's able to work his way onto the field. We could see plenty of targets going to that tight end spot. And if Brevin George is there, then he's going to catch the ball. Absolutely. Yeah. See what happens there. Uh, Joe, Rondell Moore or Elijah Moore? Who, who do you like better? <laughs> I'm talking long-term and talking short-term because the answer to both is Elijah Moore. Um, I, I love Elijah Moore. He's one of my favorite wide receivers in this class. Um, he's going to lock down that slot position. I think Jamison Crowder is going to be a cap casualty in the coming days or at least before the season starts. I'm not sure about the metrics on that and if they have to cut him before a certain date to get a certain amount. But uh, as of now, I believe they can cut him and save $10 million and they don't have 1 million hit on dead cap. So Crowder is a guy who might be a cap casualty. Um, look, there's not a – like Corey Davis, he had that great year last year. That's awesome. He's going to be in the outside likely with Denzel Mims. But there's no alpha proven wide receiver in New York. There's that chance that Elijah Moore becomes that guy. There's a world where Elijah Moore is the wide receiver one in New York. It's not impossible to do. Um, I like Mims. I like Davis. I've been a fan of Davis since he was drafted, but as of right now, I think the upside for Moore is astronomical. So, especially with Zach Wilson, you know, two rookies coming in together. A lot of times they build continuity with each other. Sometimes they room together, whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Elijah Moore. And some other wide receivers that landed in spots where you kind of talked about it, maybe not an established guy, you know, Tylen Wallace in Baltimore, Amon Ross St. Brown in Detroit, and then also, you know, you kind of look around the league, maybe an Amir Smith-Marset in that wide receiver three spot in Minnesota. You can also look at Nico Collins down there in Houston. For these mid-round wide receivers, is there anyone that you're kind of looking at as a late-round pick that you think is going to be able to contribute in a way to where they're worth having on the roster? Um, Nico Collins, a guy you mentioned, you know, bigger receiver, there's just a lot of, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of opportunity in Houston. Um, if Watson does end up playing, Collins has a chance to be that wide receiver too. Brandon Cook's another guy who gets banged up a lot, so there's a chance Collins might be that wide receiver one in Houston by the time the season's done. So that's definitely something to buy into. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown, brother of Equianimous St. Brown in Green Bay. Um, Amon Ross in Detroit. So there's just a wide open wide receiver room. They waited until the beginning of the fourth round to even address that position. They took two defensive tackles, two good defensive tackles, but they took two defensive tackles before addressing the wide receiver position in the draft. Um, Amon Ra, he had an early breakout age. 
he's got some good upside, but I don't think he's that alpha that's going to come in and say, okay, this guy is going to be the wide receiver one in Detroit. Um, Brashad Perryman had a decent year last year. There's another guy in Detroit I really like, uh, Quintez Cephas. He had a couple good plays last year. He's someone I'll be targeting late. But, yeah, Amon Ra just kind of in that same boat of he has the opportunity laid out in front of him. It's just up to him whether he's going to go up and grab it. So uh, a couple of those guys are some of the ones that I'm liking. Yeah, I like I like Diami Brown. I think good uh, yeah, stuff and Washington just because who's their receivers really? But the problem with that is like, what's their quarterback situation moving forward here? Beyond uh, Fitzpatrick for the season. Um, well, they, they do have that quarterback last year who played really well against the Buccaneers. Played better than any of the other playoff quarterbacks. <laughs> Can't get his name on top of my head right now. I don't like Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke, there you go. So, um, you he know, thinks he's going to be the starter this year. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a good way to, to think about things. He, he does think he's going to be the starter. Yeah, well, he said I'm preparing to start, so we'll see. I mean, you know, Fitzpatrick's going to have his good games. He's going to have his bad games. There won't be there won't be anything in between, Michael, for Fitzpatrick. Yeah, true. Um, another guy, Josh Palmer, maybe not a guy I really know too much about, but when you look at this Los Angeles Chargers room. I talked about Jamison Crowder being cap casualty. Mike Williams is in that same boat. He's uh, he's due a lot of money, and they can cut him for little to nothing. So, and he's dealt with a ton of injuries. So, if Mike Williams ends up being a casualty, then I'll have Henry anymore. Palmer could make a name for himself as well. And you know, we got to talk about pretty much all the early picks in this class. Two, maybe more under the radar, but second round picks nonetheless. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge for Seattle, which. You know, obviously Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf are going to be occupying a lot of the receptions, but that third role could very well produce. We saw David Moore have some nice games over his time there in Seattle. What do you see for Eskridge in terms of fantasy outlook for, you know, season one and then long term? Yeah, I mean, fast guy. He seems like one of those utility guys that has that type of potential. He could be a returner as well. Um you know, it's kind of a confusing pick by Seattle when you have so many other needs, like offensive line, corner, whatever it may be. Uh, but, you know, draft capital is there. Pete Carroll is going to do what Pete Carroll wants. And Eskridge is an intriguing prospect. So, yeah, I mean, I might take a flyer on Eskridge at the end of the draft. I don't think he's going to ever be anything consistent unless we have an injury to Lockett or DK Metcalf, which is, you know, always possible. Um, they did bring in Gerald Everett, who I think is going to be a factor as a tight end as well. So uh, we'll have to see. But, yeah, Eskridge is someone I'm keeping a keeping an eye on. And then the other player, also in the NFC West, someone that really dropped all the way down in my rankings after I got the way in. You know, there were still questions about his game. But once he came in around 145, I think, was the way in at first. I, I just I couldn't do it. But Sean McVay said, I'm not letting you get out of the second round, apparently, when you spoke to him in private. 2-2 Atwell. Oh, you know, gosh. It's probably a long-term projection. But what do you see for Atwell if he is going to find success in the NFL? What type of role do you think that will be in? And do you think you know, it's a realistic expectation that he could potentially be a good player in the NFL? You know, things move fast in the NFL, right? Uh, 2-2 Atwell, you mentioned, very undersized guy, profiles as a slot receiver. That's Cooper Cup's role right now. Um, Cooper Cup is a little older than a lot of people think. I believe he's approaching 28, 27, somewhere in that range. Um, So, yeah, Cooper Cup is a little older. I don't know when he's due a contract. Uh, I think he got signed pretty recently. But overall, 
in the next couple of years, the Rams could easily draft another guy to replace him. I'm not putting any investment into Tutu Atwell. Um, I believe they drafted a wide receiver last year, also in the second round, which uh, Van Jefferson. So who knows what's in store for him? Who knows what's in store for Tutu Atwell? I'm not a fan of Atwell. I'm not going to be putting any investment into him. Yeah, it was a confusing selection. I thought that the room was fine. I thought there were other positions that certainly needed help. Los Angeles Rams, though, are definitely going to be an exciting offense. Stafford now in that offense with what has seemed to become an established Cam Akers backfield with some great talent behind him. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson, they're all going to be able to contribute. We've talked about it all offseason kind of, but what are your – personal expectations of Matt Stafford in that McVay offense. Do you think he has potential to be a QB one in fantasy? Do you think he has potential to be the QB one in fantasy? I don't think so. I mean, I love the player. I love the weapons. I love the situation with McVay. I think it's a, you know, a million times more of an upgrade than it would be if he was in Detroit right now. Uh, but overall, I think Los Angeles still wants to lean on their run game. I still, I think they still want to lean on Cam Akers. And the only thing with Jared Goff is when they needed to rely on their quarterback, he wouldn't always come through. You know, Jared Goff would have his big moments, but for the most part, he's not a reliable guy. Matt Stafford is just kind of profiles as a reliable guy. So I, I think they're going to lean on Cam Akers. And if needed, Matt Stafford is going to come through and do his thing. He's going to have the weapons available to him to get the job done. But um, for fantasy, I'd profile him as like a low-end quarterback too, maybe like a just outside the top 10 for me. I'm not crazy about him because, uh, like I said, I still think this is going to be a run-oriented offense. And, you know, we talked about the 2020 quarterbacks, but I think that 2020 running back room is definitely a very intriguing one, especially in a fantasy season like this where maybe – you know, there's like the top five, top six, and then really there's a notable drop-off because a lot of those guys are sharing the backfield. How would you rank the running backs, you know, of Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, James Robinson, J.K. Dobbins? There's so many guys that are in this class that could be great running back ones in that first year. What are your thoughts on that group and really what you think they'll be able to do in the second year? So Jonathan Taylor, he's going to be up there. He's going to be in that first-round talent for me. Um, he's still got a great line running behind. They just signed Eric Fisher today to play left tackle, you know, coming off injury, but still nonetheless an upgrade from what they had with Anthony Costanzo retiring. Um, so, yeah, Jonathan Taylor is going to be up there for me. Next, it's going to boil down to Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift. Um, I, I think Akers is going to get a little bit of a lead for me. Swift is going to be right behind him. He's going to have a ton of receiving opportunity. And uh, carry on Johnson no longer there, so that backfield seems to be yours. And honestly, even if Swift does end up sharing that backfield with Williams, it's still going to be a significant upgrade to last year to where Swift was averaging around 35-40% of the snaps. At the very least, Swift will probably be averaging 60-65, to 65, even with Jamal Williams back there. So it's going to be an upgrade for Swift nonetheless. Uh, Antonio Gibson, another guy I really, really like. Um, if, depending on how they want to use J.D. McKissick next year, I think if Gibson sees some more receiving work, he could easily profile as a top 10 uh, fantasy wide uh, running back. But as of right now, I'm going to have him a little lower than those guys just because he was a little touchdown dependent last year. Um, lastly, you mentioned J.K. Dobbins. Look, huge fan of Dobbins as a player. When I looked at the running backs last year, he was my number one running back in that class. But... 
in Baltimore, it's not a great situation. Some people think he's primed for this running back one breakout season. I am just not on that boat. He's going to be sharing that backfield with Gus Edwards. Lamar Jackson is going to be taking away a lot of opportunities from him. He's not going to see any receiving work. He's very touchdown dependent. He's very big run, big play dependent. Uh, and, you know, that's fine for a running back two, you know, high upside running back two, but I'm not going to trust him as a running back one. Yeah, I got to avoid too much results, uh, too much opinion, because we got Jordan Schrude here in the comment section, member of my fantasy league. So mostly uh. going to be keeping my <laughs> mouth shut now. I got to make sure that we uh, <laughs> don't don't reveal any strategies for this upcoming fantasy year. Just won it for the first time in my league's history. So trying to reach you as a champion. Uh, you know, we talked about all these rookies that are going to be most likely, you know, probably guys that have a lot better opportunity to succeed than last year's class. Do you think that there was anyone maybe that with this now, hopefully much clearer opportunity of an off season, much more in-person work that we could see some pop-offs from this class. And I think one of the more notable positions that really production was just not there overall was the tight end spot. And I think the guy that I'm kind of looking at is Adam Troutman out of new Orleans. I think, you know, he kind of established himself as a very talented tight end, but he really came on quite slowly because of, you know, whether you want to say it's because of the offseason or maybe it was just a lack of talent class in that tight end class. But overall, is there anyone in mind that you kind of thought, oh, they're going to be good as long as they get in the right system? Maybe we're slow out the gates and, you know, it's easy to see why with the season like last year that could potentially pop off in year two. So you mentioned Adam Troutman. He's uh, one of my favorite tight end targets for this year. But it's really going to depend on if it's Taysom Hill or if it's James Winston playing quarterback. And uh, honestly, I wouldn't put it past Sean Payton for it to be both somehow. Uh, the first quarterback committee. So uh, I, I really would not put that past Sean Payton at all. Um, you know, throw Ian Book in there for good measure. But uh, overall, I, I love Adam Troutman. He's in a great opportunity. They added no offensive threats for him. It's really just... Uh, Troutman, Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith, and, you know, Alvin Kamara, obviously in that backfield. So uh, Adam Troutman's someone I love. Cole Komet, I like the talent, um, especially with Justin Fields coming in. I think Cole Komet could be that go-to guy between the tackles and, you know, third down looks. So, yeah, I, I think Cole Komet, he showed some upside. He had a couple of string – he strung together a couple games of seven or eight targets – and uh, if they start using him in that way and steer clear of Jimmy Graham, then I think Cole Komet might have a chance at some, um, you know, some value as well. Let me give you a guy that I think is going to have value at some point. Everyone's going to be scrambling to pick this guy up off the waiver wire just because of the fact that he will be a starter. And people don't realize this, but Davis Mills, Houston Texans, this guy is going to be playing a lot as Michael and I discussed last week, perhaps week one, starting quarterback. Uh, your thoughts on him? I think he's in a good spot personally if he wants to be an NFL starting quarterback. And I think I think we're gonna he's gonna see the field before we see Lance or Fields or Jones. It's possible. I mean, I, I think just like any team, uh, Tyler Taylor is gonna be Tyra Tailored to where he gets the first couple games and he gets kicked off. I don't know how every single year Tyrod Taylor is in a position to start and then lose his job. I mean, there's got to be a record of how many times this guy has happened. It wasn't his fault last year. Yeah, it wasn't his fault. You know, Justin Herbert went out to have this historic rookie year. But, um, 
yeah, it's got to be a record of how many times Tyrod Taylor has started and lost his job. Um, that being said, I don't think Houston is married to Tyrod Taylor. Um, I, I think they have no problem. If Davis Mills shows up better than Taylor that they'll put him in no matter what, if Watson doesn't play, which is what's being projected right now, Davis Mills is a hundred percent going to get some playing time because you know, you got to see what you got. You got to see if you got anything in Davis Mills. You're not just going to let him sit on the bench for 17 games, no matter how good Tyrod Taylor is playing, unless Tyrod Taylor is playing at a level where you're in the playoffs, which is not going to happen. Um, then, you know, Davis Mills is going to see some playing time. Michael, what can we expect from Davis Mills at the NFL level as far as his playing style would be? I'm going to be honest. I was kind of low on Davis Mills compared to a lot of people, but I think that there is plenty of intrigue when it comes to what he has in terms of potential because a lot of people saw limited playtime from him. There wasn't a lot of tape out there for people like me that didn't have, you know, the connects to get all the all 22 of every game. For Stanford. <laughs> but what I was able to see, he's a quick passer. He moves very well. He's got nice drop back speed and that's huge in the NFL, setting yourself up to get comfortable, get quick to where you have more time to make decisions, especially as a young quarterback that's trying to process the NFL that is going to hundred percent be more complicated than it is at that college level. That's going to be absolutely huge. Um, you know, there's questions in terms of how well he throws downfield. Some people think that he projects very well with arm strength. Some people think that, you know, he's a good outside passer, but he still needs to develop a long way in terms of being a downfield passer. He's got the arm talent to potentially become something though. And he's a quick mover. He's got some solid touch passing that I think is going to be really the reason why a lot of people are buying into the Davis Mills hype. And we've seen some throws on tape where he'll put it right over that first wave of defenders and below the second wave to where the receiver is able to get it, but also not get blown up by the oncoming secondary. And that's huge for a receiver. We saw some plays like that out of Justin Herbert as a prospect, and we see how well he was able to make that transition to the NFL. Now, the big, the big thing though, is Houston's a bad situation to be in right now for anyone, not just Davis Mills. Even if we saw, you know, one of my favorite QBs in this class, maybe like Justin Fields, go to Houston, I'd be saying I'm extremely worried about what's going to happen for him because the QB or the head coach seems like a coach that's probably just going to be let go after a year or two, and it's just kind of embracing the, the tank almost. The offensive line still has plenty of issues despite Laramie Tunsil being a very solid left tackle. The running back room is Mark Ingram, who should be able to contribute in some ways, probably get some nice touches. Philip Lindsay, who's going to be getting some receptions. But overall, you know, the weapons are still questionable. And then, you know, locker room plays a big part of that week-to-week situation. And a lot of people don't like the front office of the Houston Texans. And that's going to be very evident in this season. They've signed a lot of guys that are hopefully new guys that aren't going to have issues. But it's just a tough situation, and it's one that I'm probably going to try to steer clear of, even though I like Brandon Cooks, even though I like Mark Ingram. And those are guys that usually you can get late and get good value out of. And if they're there, then, yeah, go ahead, take advantage. But at the same time, if you're looking to spend 15 on Mark Ingram in auction leagues or spend a six-round pick on him, I'm almost at that point where I'm saying I like Mark Ingram, but I'm out because I don't like the Texans for the season to be anything more than a bad team. And bad teams, as much as, you know, you can get maybe a player that's consistent in terms of production, there's a lot of games where they're putting up three points and just no one's producing and you're hating it from a fantasy perspective. So if you're well, oh guys, for... and you know, 
speaking of fantasy here, because you brought it up before, but Chad Kelly go wor- working out with the Packers this week. I don't know if you guys saw that. And Kurt Benkert, who I never heard of, but I'm sure Michael has a full scouter for you. So the Packers, <laughs> who only have Jordan Love on the roster, looking to bring in two additional QBs, which I think at this point you have to. It seems they're playing hardball. I think this is a situation where Aaron Rodgers wants to be confirmed as a long-term Packer for life. And this is kind of his saying, like, look, if you're not going to sign me, then I'm fine leaving. And then the front office is trying to say, look, if you're fine leaving, you know, we're okay with it too. And I expect this to end with an extension for Aaron Rodgers and then Jordan Love eventually getting traded, you know, probably next offseason. But right now, I think this is just hardball on both sides, and we'll see what happens with it. But really, Kurt Benkert, Chad Kelly, two guys that have some talent in their arm strength and velocity on their balls. But overall, I don't think there's anything long-term starter about them. So Packers should definitely uh, be very confident in Jordan Love if they're willing to let Aaron Rodgers Maybe a trade for Gardner Minshew. Possibly. That works. Well, uh, that's all we got for you guys here on Destination Draft Day. We want to thank Joe Volpe so much for joining us. Joe, let them know where they can find your analysis and insight on social medias. Sure. So I'm mainly on Instagram. You can find me at fantasy.football.analyst on there. I also have a YouTube channel, uh, Fantasy Football Analyst website, the FF Analyst. You know, anywhere you look up FF Analyst, I'll be. So. We appreciate everyone for watching, except for Jordan Trude. We don't like you watching, getting my fantasy analysis. Look, he's taking notes here. He wrote it down. He wrote Dokes round 15. He wrote it down. I got to gotta go back to the drawing board. I got to find some new strategies. But we thank everyone for checking us out. We thank LandryFootball.com for the platform. And again, thank you to Joe for joining us today on this episode. We'll see you guys on Friday. Have a good week, everyone.